0: Сьогодні в новинах багато згадок про зустріч в Туреччині щодо розблокування аграрного
1: експорту з нашої країни через Чорне море. The Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky about the significant effort in resuming the supply of food to the world market, and as we have been telling you, the United Nations Secretary General on that deal that was brokered by Turkey between Russia and Ukraine to get relief, to get food supply, some of the supply, rolling again. Specifically, the initiative we just signed opens up pass for significant volumes of commercial food exports from three key U- Ukrainian ports in the Black Sea, Odessa, Chebonovsk, and yuzhny The shipment of grain and food stocks into world markets will help bridge the global food supply gap and reduce pressure on high prices. The one thing that I think that we have learned over the last several months, one of many things about the war that Russia is waging in Ukraine, is that too many people, not enough food, isn't the cause of hunger and food insecurity. Giselle Yasmin is a senior fellow, School of Public Policy and Global Affairs at the University of British Columbia Thank you so very much for joining us this Friday evening.
0: Good evening. Thanks for having me.
1: Now, the agreement that was brokered by Turkey, uh, does this help? I would think it, it helps if everybody yeah. is honest well, in this.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you know, the thought of all of that grain, those millions of tons of, of grain and, and other, you know, agricultural products going to waste, rotting in those silos. Uh, you know that's a travesty. Already, we we waste about a third of the world, the food that's produced in the world.
1: So let's hope. And I know uh, that word hope is um, not something I like to bank on. But the expectation is uh, is that uh, food will get to where it needs to get to in uh, parts of parts of Africa. Can we can we talk for a moment? Uh, about food insecurity um, in 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 Africa, in the sense that what I have read is that there's politics, there's war, there's climate. Um, and depending where you are in Africa, climate and politics and war can affect this, and that we're not talking hundreds of thousands of people. We are talking about millions of people that despite this deal, are still vulnerable. Help us understand yeah. the dynamics here.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, Africa is a huge continent, but it's actually a rich continent with poor people, Richard. And, you know, this is kind of the travesty, is that these dependencies have been created and that wealth has been extracted, resulting in, you know, people in a in, you know, number of African countries becoming dependent on uh, imported staples. So when you have a conflict uh, which, you know, uh, doesn't just disrupt livelihoods, but like COVID disrupts supply chains, uh, then you have really a recipe for disaster. But the solution is to build more food sovereignty and, uh, you know, more autonomy and self-sufficiency within our our regional uh, and local food systems so that we are not so dependent on that. You know, countries in Africa and, and Canada, as, as well, are not so dependent.
1: But the reality is that conflict has placed such such importance on this, and the yes. United Nations and what they are trying to a- a- achieve here, in in feeding the hungry that are that are caught. And I agree with your assessment that there are um, many African nations. That they are wealthy, you know. Water; those nations that have water and have access to water, um, and and have access to coastal resources as well. But there's a history of conflict here yeah. that continues, and yeah. um, and 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 I think you know to to understand those forces, and even a country like Turkey, historically and now, the role that they try to play in brokering this. There's so many layers to this story.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah, there are very many layers. And, you know, the, the tragedy of what's happening in Ukraine is just part of a long line of, you know, armed conflict uh, causing food insecurity around the world. So you look at Yemen, you look at uh, South Sudan. I mean, these are countries that have faced, uh, you know, decades of conflict. Somalia. Those are the most food-insecure countries in the world. So this is yet just another example. That's why, yes, COVID, climate, conflict, all of these things are compounding, but it's not new, Richard. I mean, it, this has been going on for decades. You think of the 2008 crisis, the 1997 Asian economic crisis. So this is cyclical. So we have to approach food security differently um, you know, to, to you know, protect our populations.
1: So how do we cut through the politics? How do we cut through the dictators? How do we cut through the um, the religion that is waged, uh, war in the name of religion in this? How, how do we cut through all those barriers? You know, sitting here in the West, we can, you know, sometimes pretend to know what's best for people and we're altruistic. But how yeah. do we get everybody at the table to, to solve this problem in a way that respects people's differences and yet gets food to the mouths that need it. Well,
0: you know, that, that is the problem, is that food is being weaponized. Uh, but the, the other problem is that food is overly commoditized as well. I mean, and a bit like the housing market, which, you know, is beyond the reach, particularly in terms of rental housing. You know, beyond the reach of the population, even in wealthy countries like Canada, where there are families struggling to, you know, put a roof over their heads and food on the table, and sometimes have to decide between the two. So, we need to be able to take the necessities of life, like food and water and shelter, and treat those differently than you know any other commodity within the system. We we cannot, from a public policy standpoint uh deal with food the way we deal with i don't know computers or things that we don't need to survive uh, in the same way and and if you think of health and education i mean in this country there was a time where healthcare was completely private and completely commoditized but it became an entitlement under our social policies now our system's not perfect but you know that was a step forward same with education it became seen as a right, you know, uh, to be to be educated to a certain level. So we need to be to think. I think that's the first step: is thinking about food differently, uh, not like any other, uh, like a commodity that you don't need to
1: survive. Those commodities are ultimately controlled then by a handful of transnational corporations.
0: Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, yes, yeah.
1: So, so it, um are are we talking about you know more of an approach that that nationalizes, that tries to uh take the role out of those that create profit for this? like how do we approach this?
0: Well, you know, I'll tell you what what Quebec has done is quite interesting. Quebec is you know really trying to support its own homegrown you know, food system. And uh, there's a movement to protect, uh, you know, food and uh, that's produced in Quebec uh, and not have it subject to the vagaries of the international market, a bit like how culture is protected under certain international treaties. So there is a movement to, to try to, you know, protect our own... Um, you know, our own industries, and to also support the importance of supporting small-scale enterprises, right? Uh, in fact, this this new agricultural uh, framework was signed today. That just came out today. I haven't had a detailed chance to, to renew it, but I think COVID in particular has been a wake-up call that we need a little more self-sufficiency because what we saw with COVID is that the borders second And all of a sudden you couldn't you couldn't trade. It was very, very difficult to trade. So we need to build up our own industries, our own small scale enterprises. Uh, You know, we need to recognize that that infrastructure needs to be there for, uh, you know, to flourish, you know, to be able to support sustainable livelihoods at various
1: scales. The World Food Programme has been forced to cut rations to nearly 4 million people due to higher food prices. The deal that was announced today hopefully will reduce those numbers. With us this Friday evening from the University of British Columbia is Giselle Yasmin. She's a Senior Fellow, School of Public Policy and Global Affairs. We'll continue the conversation in a moment. And if you would like to weigh in, you can always, always, always text us at 877 9898 I'm Richard, in for Ben. Richard Cloutier, in for Ben. Professor Giselle Yasmine is a senior fellow of the School of Public Policy and Global Affairs at University of British Columbia. We're talking about food insecurity, and Professor, I just finished uh, The Power of Geography by Tim Marshall, um, veteran journalist, and in this way, looking at the world through a bit of a different lens and he writes a a chapter on Ethiopia and and demonstrates how that country so rich in resources, the water tower of Africa and, you know, the potential for it to become a a, a dominant regional power in coming years. And, uh, you know, what resonates throughout is your opening conversation saying that, yes, there are parts of Africa so rich in resources Yet, you know, we have this stereotypical image of, you know, millions of, of people that are, are starving and they are indeed starving. But um, it's not because of a lack of food that is grown in the world. It's the power that people and organizations hold over that food. And the conversation that we're having uh, this evening is about how do, we, how do we cut through all those forces and make sure that food gets to the mouths of 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 those that need it and empower people to be able to to have the technology to be able to grow that food. So if you could wave your magic wand, <laughs> what are some of the things you would do?
0: You know, yes, I mean this is this is about the distribution of wealth and the bounty of the earth and and land and income and you know, even David Beasley who's executive director of the World Food Program which, uh, you know, again, shouldn't have to exist, a bit like food banks shouldn't have to exist, but he's the former governor of South Carolina, a Republican, mm-hmm. and was, you know, commenting to Christiana Amanpour about just the, the, the wealth that has been generated. I mean, the trillionaires uh, that have come out of uh, all of this hardship that the rest of us, uh, the world is 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 suffering through, so whether it's in the technology field or you know uh, other fields, so again, this is about distribution of power and of wealth. so you know in terms of waging a magic wand, what we need are programs that that help us do that, help us distribute that that wealth and that uh, you know distribute income, but also provide affordable housing. You know, daycare is part of the solution. So, you know, we, we have to have programs that help people get through the shocks. And obviously, we need more diplomacy and peace building in this world. I mean, we, we can't go on like this with armed conflict. Um, and, you know, we're at the brink of, you know, our nuclear weapons are going to be used, you know. I never thought we'd get, get to this point. That's what's so shocking. So we really need, I think as I said in my article in the conversation, there are several pathways that need to be looked at. Um, there are other examples. School feeding programs are, are another way that, uh, you know, the type of programming that can help level the playing field. Um, even Canada is a, is a very wealthy country but does not have you know, a school food program that's kind of consistent in terms of of the quality that that kids have access to. There's a bit of a patchwork across the country. So those are concrete examples. Um, But, you know, access to the necessities of life, shelter, food, uh, water, I mean, without giving us the right to waste those very precious resources, but that's where the public policy and the programming needs to land.
1: The conversation.com, uh, is a wonderful website where there's really insightful and you, you write about this and, you know, so often, uh, you know, we're, we're, we don't like to tackle big issues in big ways, but you have the ability to kind of break it down and simplify it. And I think we're intimidated by this in so many ways that, um, we think that we are powerless to be able to do something about this. And I think that's the problem that we have had over the last two and a half years, because, you know, in, with COVID, with everything else going on in the world right now, a lot of us do feel powerless. And sometimes all you want to do is put the covers on your head, plug your ears and start going la, 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 yeah. la, <laughs> because of all this that's going on.
0: Yeah, well, yes, you know, you're right. We do have to, you know, keep our eyes on, on what are the root causes of some of these issues. And I think we are finally talking about this and there is action that's happening on the ground throughout the world. Um, you know, Richard, we have seven years to meet the Sustainable Development Goals, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And one of those uh, the uh, sustainable development goals is number two, uh, which includes zero hunger, improved nutrition, and moving towards sustainable food systems. So you know Canada's accountable to the SDGs. So is every other UN member country. So I think really it's incumbent on us mobilizing and organizing. Um, just today I was speaking to a group in BC organized by the unions uh, on you know food security and. You know, the, my co-speaker uh, Elizabeth Kwan was mentioning how powerful unions are, and of course, media is powerful too. Like what you're doing is powerful. It 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 mobilizes people. It informs people. So we all do our part, and if we work together, then we can move the needle. If you look at what's happened historically, uh, but we need to get to the root causes of of these issues. And when it comes to food security. It's primarily about politics, about poverty and inequality. It's primarily about uh, conflict, armed conflict. So you know we need to keep focused on that.
1: Go to theconversation.com, and um, you know it doesn't matter if you agree or disagree with what you're hearing, but have that conversation. Be engaged by this because I only occasionally feel like putting the covers over my head. I really do feel that there is a generation that is so fixed on trying to fix problems. And yes, sometimes they're playing the blame game, blaming my generation for squandering these resources. But we owe it to our children, our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren to leave this world in a whole better place than it is now. And Giselle, that's, well, why, that's why I think we got to continue to fight The good fight. Thank you so very much. Continue to write, continue to speak out. I love academics that use their academic freedom. I really appreciate you.
0: And you keep on keeping on, too, Richard.